The Water Values Podcast, Session 139. Welcome to the Water Values Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to water utilities, resources, treatment, reuse, and all things water. Now here's your host, Dave McGibson. Hello and welcome to another session of the Water Values Podcast. As my daughter Sarah said, my name is Dave McGimsey. Thanks so much for joining me. Well, welcome to 2019. we got a great year ahead in the Water Values Podcast. I hope everyone had a wonderful and joyous holiday season and a very safe and happy new year. Uh, we got a great show for you today. We have Jay Familietti. Uh, Jay is currently the director of the Global Institute for Water Security at the University of Saskatchewan. Uh, and obviously, he was the, the former senior water scientist for NASA at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory uh, at the California Institute of Technology. He's been on multiple media outlets, national media outlets, uh, international. He's a very sought-after guy, and the stars finally aligned, and we have him here for you today. He was very generous with his time, uh, and I think you're going to love this interview. We also have Reese Tisdale back for a Bluefield on Tap session where he's going to talk and uh, dive into kind of the industrial water space and what's what's uh, the 2019 hold for that section. But before we get to that, we've got a couple of uh, great reviews from Apple Podcasts. I'm going to run through those real quick. We got a five-star rating and review uh, from Fritz632. His uh, comment is very insightful. I work as a chemist at water rec- at a water reclamation facility in Dayton, Ohio, and this podcast helps me feel engaged in the utilities industry and keeps me informed on important topics. I get new ideas and think about what my role can be in water in the future. Thank you, Dave. Well, Fritz 632, thank you so much for the great rating and review. Really appreciate uh, your efforts uh, in the water industry. And, and of course, very much appreciate you leaving that such a nice review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, the next uh, rating is by uh, Texas Sarah. And she gives a five-star rating and a great review. Texas Sarah says, I love the way this podcast covers several different aspects of the water and wastewater industry. This podcast has been a big help growing in this industry and gaining knowledge from all aspects of the business. My favorite episode is with Pat Mulroy discussing how a utility should move forward during difficult decisions with long-term goals at mind. Her statement about needing more deal peacemakers in the industry has really stuck with me. I enjoy the conversation. Keep it up. Thanks, Sarah from Texas. Well, Sarah from Texas, thank you so much for the great rating, the great review. Really appreciate it. Uh, And I hope there is more to come. I hope you'll love this one because uh, our featured guest here, Jay Familietti, is going to be fantastic for you. So uh, without that, without further ado, let's get to uh, the next segment, which is uh, Bluefield on Tap with Reese Tisdale, who's going to talk about, again, industrial water. So uh, let's get to that. Here we go with uh, Reese Tisdale and Bluefield on Tap. Well, Reese, Happy New Year. Welcome back to the Bluefield on Tap. How are you doing? It's good to be back. Things are good. We're the ho- the holidays are here and gone pretty much it feels like yeah yeah it's a new year yeah well 2019 uh there's a lot of the things that are expected as we kind of talked about on the last podcast looking ahead in in 2019 you gave us some insights into what you you, you know your look ahead was do you have any follow up on that what what's kind of on your mind as we start uh, 2019 here yeah i think that uh, that discussion was really good and, and thinking about tying it together a lot of the discussion was on municipal and i think there's a lot of opportunity there i think if if only for a couple seconds of of 
my points that I made, you know, what are we seeing happening? One of the areas of interest, and actually we just released a report, so, um, you know, hey, everybody out there, there's a new report on industrial <laughs> water management uh, in the U.S. specifically. So it was really interesting. We had – it's a pretty opaque market, but there's no lack of interest in the industrial water sector, partly because – there's not a lot of information, but also just a number of facilities and in the different industry verticals. So over the past, I'd say, quarter, if not longer, we've taken a look at about 300 industrial facilities from top to bottom and across 3,000 counties in the U.S. and size that market. And the numbers are in. Um, we basically have a just over $10 billion a year market size for water management uh, for industrial water. Yeah, and so um, when you're talking industrial water, it's it's a lot of process water, right? Um, a lot of there's a, so so the the source does not need to be uh, up to you know drinking water standards, but they still ha- can you talk a little about kind of the different strata of of industrial water because they you know some some facilities need it cleaned up to point X and some need it cleaned up to point Y, some need it cleaned up to point Z. What 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 does Bluefield's market research tell us about? You know how each uh, how each of the, the the industrial market is stratified in this regard. Yeah, I mean, look, we we're it's so fragmented. We we're looking at so many facilities and verticals. The way we looked at it was, or the way are we looking? We are looking at it is, you know, you've got your water intake, sort of looking at the cost of that, and that, you know, it, the intake is a significant volume, and then within that, we looked at. Um, basically treatment or process treatment uh, in the operations. And then we looked at reuse and sort of sort of segmented that, how much of that water is being reused, what's the cost of that. And then we also looked at sort of discharge, discharge treatment. And that's obviously the biggest environment or, you know, regulated piece of the equation. On the front end, like you said, industrial water, depending on the industry, doesn't have to be treated to, you know, to drinking water standards, let's say. And a lot of that water also comes from from groundwater or well water. So that, that's a big part of it. I think what was interesting as a whole, though, and look, we mashed together all kinds of data sets, some public, uh, some of our own, but as a whole, you know, the drinking water, excuse me, the, the water demand levels have continued to decline. They've declined about 30% uh, in the U.S. over the last, since 1985. Um, so they've steadily declined. And I think that's a result of a couple different things. One is that, you know, machinery, companies, facilities, it's just because they become more efficient in their water use. I think that just that's a natural evolution of technology improvements. I think secondly, the industrial footprint in the U.S. has changed. Um, and so people have, uh, you know, whether it be shifting industries, I think, Thirdly, you know, companies have become more aware of, of that cost uh, of water and water management um, over time. And so it's been interesting to sort of see what that's happened now. The industries have varied dramatically um, across the spectrum, though. Yeah. I, on, the, on your third point there about the cost of treatment, I have seen um, a big uptick in, in industrials pushing back on um, treatment costs. Uh, I'm, in, I'm involved in two pieces of big litigation right now uh, that where where you know the treatment costs are one of the central issues and um, and, and so I, I really think wrapping your head around kind of that industrial pretreatment and you know then once it's pretreated sending it on that's a big that's a big right. deal um, 
So I, I yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, I think you raise really. It's interesting. Sorry to jump in. I think that what it's interesting as we went through this process, we we're both speaking to industrial firms, but also municipal utilities, trying to get an idea of what they were seeing for industrial treatment, what rates were, how were they, how was it being managed. What's amazing is there are a number of utilities out there that they don't even know who their industrial customers are. Um, and sort of what they're discharging into the into the stream, it all sort of flow, ultimately flows into one pipe, and there it is. They have an idea, but it's the lack of information is really incredible, even at the utility level. And so I think a number of them are trying to figure that out. Um, but at the same time, and this ties into what we talked a little bit with uh, with Todd and Paul on the on the year end review was. Uh, Look, industrial firms, if their rates are rising at such a level, you know, they're starting to make decisions on their own. And they have potential options, one, as far as uh, doing on-site treatment and reuse and therefore limiting or minimizing their discharge into the municipal system. Yeah, I, I, I think you're exactly right. You know, when I, I think that's one of the going to be one of the big things is now that rate pressure. I mean, we've been talking about it for years, how, uh, you know, in order to support infrastructure and treatment needs and things of that nature, rates need to rise regularly. And I, I, I think at least in my perception is, is that is that that's starting to hit home and some of the, the users are starting to take note and maybe look at alternative solutions. Uh, so I, I think that market is going to. You know, my my perception is that market's going to grow a lot in 2019. Oh, I think it's huge, and I think it's really interesting. I mean, there are we've talked about it. I mean, players positioning both at the, at the commercial level, but you're starting to see it as even smaller facilities like the breweries and the wineries and such. You know, who have high organic content, but. I think it, it, it's a. Unfortunately, it's is it potentially long term is a, a death spiral. You know, as if industrial firms start pulling back from the municipal system and discharging, then rates are going to have to rise even further, and it just keeps compounding the problem. Um, so it'll be interesting to sort of see how that plays out over time. Um, and look, it, it, I'm. It, I'm putting it uh, in simple terms, but I mean that's ultimately what could happen because technology is not the problem. And I think one takeaway from all of this is, or a takeaway is that companies that are looking at doing these sort of things from a branding perspective, that's not the winning strategy. It's really a bottom line issue, and those are the ones that will really succeed. Those that really start bring out the pencils. And and put it on paper to say, wait a second, we've got options here. Let's let's uh, think of another strategy. And there are plenty of companies out there that are willing to support them. Right, right. Well, Reese, great talk with you. I look forward to another year of podcast with you, uh, bringing Bluefield on tap to us and some market knowledge. So uh, thanks so much. Uh, glad everything's going well. Happy New Year, and we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, same to you, Dave. And uh, take it easy. Look forward to talking soon. Yep. All right. See you, Reese. Bye. Well, as always, Reese does a great job with Bluefield on tap, sharing some of that market knowledge that Bluefield Research uh, works on and prepares for its clients. Next, we are up with our feature interview today, Jay Familietti, again, director of the Global Institute for Water Security at the University of Saskatchewan. You're really going to love this interview. Deep dive into uh, water security issues, how, you know, big picture. 
uh, climate change is impacting water availability, water scarcity, and that has impacts on water security and water conflict. And uh, Jay is going to do a deep dive into that specifically, and, and he's going to focus on groundwater. But it's it's a fantastic interview. He is obviously a very someone who has spent a lot of time looking at these issues. So his his uh, take on this is going to be very valuable to you. So without further ado, let's fasten our seatbelts. Open the valves, and here we go. Well, Jay, welcome to the Water Values Podcast. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're very welcome. Uh, could you please um, tell us a little about your background and how you got interested in water? Uh, well, I'm, I am a hydrologist, and uh, I've been um, a professor for most of the last three decades, except for a short uh, leave of absence where I served as the senior water scientist at the NASA Jet Propulsion Laboratory. And um, I get into water and environment things um, essentially because I grew up in the 60s um, and the 70s, and the environmental movement was just getting going. And I was spending a lot of time outdoors. I grew up in, in Rhode Island. Spending a lot of time outdoors, realized that uh, all the rivers were polluted and lakes were polluted and, and uh, you know, the coast was uh, being threatened. Um, so uh, as someone who spent a lot of time outdoors, I, I really wanted to um, do something career-wise, if I could, that would help uh, preserve the environment for, for the long term. Great. And, and where has all this led you down? Well, so um, it led me down uh, a path to uh, studying geology in college. I went to Tufts University in Medford, Mass., just, just outside of Boston, um, and uh, really uh, loved the geology undergraduate program. And uh, one thing led to another. I got a master's degree in hydrology and a Ph.D. in, in, in hydrology. And um, I've just been fortunate to have had uh, a, a few really great um, opportunities teaching at University of Texas and, and UC Irvine and now University of Saskatchewan. Awesome. And, awesome. and now uh, you're, you're fairly new to University of Saskatchewan, right? So what, what are you actually doing there? Uh, I'm very new to, uh, to the U of S. Um, we moved there in July. Um, I'm the director of the Global Institute for Water Security, which is uh, an institute that was started um, in about 2011, with a great investment from the Canadian government, and um, you know we're doing all things water research related, um, but mostly focusing on um, things like uh, improving computer uh, model simulations, uh, analyzing observations uh, in the field, and uh, working with satellites to really understand what's going on. Sure, and I, I really want to get into this water security issue a little later. But but first off, you you you, you kind of hinted at it. You're known for uh, using satellites uh, and to to kind of uh, pinpoint groundwater uh, availability and and how our groundwater is being depleted over the years. So uh, could you could you kind of give us a, a thumbnail on how how that works and how it came about and what your findings have been? Sure. Well, it might be a big thumbnail. But, uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll try.
try to keep it. Uh, I'll, I'll try to keep it as small as I can. So we've been using a satellite mission called Grace, which stands for the Gravity Recovery and Climate Experiment. Grace is an unusual mission in that it uh, measures the uh, very tiny variations in um, space-time changes in Earth's gravity field that are driven pretty much by the movement of water over the surface. Long story short, it really acts like a scale in the sky that can measure um, how water storage is changing in large areas that are, you know, maybe 150,000 square kilometers and, and greater. So it's allowed us to really map out the regions of the world that are gaining or losing water mass. And um, one of the things that I think has been a really important outcome of that is um, the maps that we produce. And that's an image that I'll share with you of uh, exactly um, which areas over the last 15-year lifetime of the mission, which areas have been losing water, which areas have been gaining water. And it's a very um, distinct pattern, and it's a very, um, uh, you know, it's compelling, if not a little frightening. Yeah. So can you kind of give us a little bit of the, uh, you know, the scale in terms of how much water are we talking about and where where's the water disappearing? Well, okay. So first of all, you know, the water doesn't disappear. It just moves from one place to another. And so it's moving around on land, mainly from the mid-latitudes to the high latitudes and the low latitudes. So to the, uh, you know, the North, uh, North American and uh, uh, Eurasian uh, boreal forests and, and into the tropics. And that means the big space of land in between is, is getting drier. Then, of course, you know, uh, water is moving from the land to the ocean as the ice sheets melt and the glaciers and the glaciers melt. Um, so there's this really well-defined pattern of uh, sort of haves and have-nots um, that's that's emerging. Uh, on top of that sort of broad brush picture I just uh, mentioned, um, there are the several hotspots for for groundwater depletion where uh, groundwater is being pumped to support uh, agriculture. Uh, and mainly it's being pumped without much regard to management. So many places around the world that water's groundwater is disappearing. Right, right. And, you know, so the mid-latitudes are losing it, and that's kind of right where the United States is, right? So, yeah, that's so right. When you look at the United States, and again, this is another map that I can, that I can share with you. When you look at the U.S., uh, it's very much divided uh, from west to east, with the northern half of the country getting wetter and the southern half of the country getting drier. And then there's two bright hot spots for groundwater depletion right over the Central Valley Aquifer and the southern part of the High Plains Aquifer, which, of course, are our two big food-producing regions. So they are running out of water. Right. And that's, that's the U.S. experience. What, what areas in, do you kind of identify as, uh, you know, in, in, in the rest of the world that are hot spots? There are, uh, unfortunately, uh, many of them. Um, so in South America, um, there's the Huarani Aquifer um, down in um, uh, around Argentina and uh, Uruguay and Paraguay. Um, in Africa, the northern half of uh, Africa, much of it is, is drying out, and specifically the uh, Northwest Sahara Aquifer system around Tunisia and Libya, uh, all over the Middle East. Um, uh, all down the Arabian Peninsula, across uh, Turkey, Syria, Iraq, and Iran, uh, uh, northwestern India, into Bangladesh, uh, the North China Plain, around around Beijing, and um, um, 
northwestern Australia. So all of those, that's basically the, the major hotspots for, for groundwater depletion that, that pop right out on our maps. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm very interested that you kind of mentioned the southern hemisphere areas first, uh, because I think a, a lot of us, at least in my world, tend to think northern hemisphere. Um, so it, it's, it, it's happening in both both ends oh, of that. Absolutely. Yeah, I was just um, at a meeting um, with the uh, water minister from, from Argentina, and, um, you know, he uh, fully uh, confirms what, uh, uh, what, you know, what he sees on the ground matches uh, very well with the satellite images that I, that I shared with him. And, in fact, they are working on uh, a big project to move water from the northern half of the country, which is wetter, to the southern half of the country, which is drier. Hmm. That, so how is that, when you say move water, is this going to be a system of, of canals and yeah, aqueducts and things? And, right. Exactly. And they're just going to inject the water into the ground or how, or, or is it, is it? So I don't know where the water will, will come from, probably in a, you know, a mountain or a snowpack source. Um, and I don't really know many of the details, but it seemed like, you know, so of course this isn't an uncommon thing. I look at California, uh, where I lived for about 20 years. Um, uh, we have a, a very intricate system of canals, aqueducts, reservoirs, basically to do the same thing, to move water from the wet part of the state to the, to the dry part of the state. So it'll be something like that, but not quite at that, quite that scale. Yeah. And, and China's got a big project going too, to, uh, do the same thing, right? I mean, it's a... Exactly, right. So they're moving water from the south to the north. Um, you know, the thing that concerns me about about all of that uh, uh, movement of water, well, so on the one hand, I think um, that the work that we've done really speaks to that need to probably have to move water from wet areas to, to dry areas. Uh, so if you're fortunate enough to have a big country or, uh, you know, a big state where you can do that, you can do it without, without problems. Um, but if you have to start asking your neighbors, neighboring state or province or country for water, um, then some collaboration is, is going to be necessary. So, you know, on the one hand, I, I wish that we could get by with the water that we have. But I think that population growth and climate change uh, and the need to grow food for, for a rapidly growing population uh, probably means that we're going to have to be, in, you know, in the coming decades to be thinking about moving more water around. Right, right. And, um, you, you know, I think, I think that's really kind of keyed on. You, you, you just talked about when you have to talk to your neighbor about it. Mm -hmm. uh, that's, that's really kind of the water uh, security and conflict issue. Right. Um, and it and it, it really highlights why the the uh, movement of groundwater the 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 um, oh the the over overuse of groundwater uh, is is an issue. So what do you what do you kind of see as the big water conflict water security issues uh, moving forward? Well, I think it's exactly what what we just talked about. I think that. Um, uh, the big uh, driver is the need to produce food for a growing population. Um, so um, we have to begin planning ahead because many of the places where we grow food are running out of water. So, you know, nations want to have their own food and water security, but some parts of the world, in some parts of the world, that probably won't be possible because uh, we're running out of uh, running out of groundwater. So. 
I think that's um, groundwater management and holistic surface and groundwater management and awareness uh, um, are sort of underlie or you know the, uh, underpin um, uh, a well thought out water security plan. If you don't know how much water you have and how much water you need uh, and how those are changing over time, if a big gap is developing, um, then you know that that's pretty fundamental. You need to go back uh, almost to square one and figure that out so that you can move forward uh, with appropriate management. Yeah, and and a lot of the hotspots you mentioned are uh, in geographic areas that are politically, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say I wouldn't call them stable. Uh, and so, how I mean, is 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 water conflict going to to lead to violence, or you know, do you have any any thoughts on on how uh, you know water scarcity in those politically unstable areas is going to play out? we're already seeing it play out towards uh, more more violent conflict. One, one thing that I don't think is really uh, well appreciated is that there's a lot of small-scale conflict that, that really doesn't even get reported because, um, um, you know, it's just uh, sort of uh, expected in, in certain regions. That was certainly true. Uh, I spent some time in the Middle East a few years ago, and you could see that the small conflicts were not not really making the making the news, but yeah, I mean, I think that um, um, you know it's 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 tough to to play together. So my hope is that um, we will view these problems, these water problems in these hotspots, as regional problems where we have to collaborate because it's in our best interest, right? It's in our common interest to to share this water and manage it for the for the long term. You know, when the uh, Alternative is conflict. Uh, you know, hopefully, um, hopefully that won't happen. But in, in many places, it already is. Right. Um, and you know, in terms of your in terms of your climate models, uh, is there any is there any projection? I shouldn't say climate. In terms of in terms of the satellite imagery you've been using and the models you're building, um, you know, is is the problem? Um, is it going to continue to the, the middle latitudes are going to continue to get drier, I assume. And, and this, this, uh, moving of water, you know, what is the, the end game there in terms of, of, you know, how, how's that going to impact the environment? What, what, what do you see as the end game there? Well, it's, it's hard to know because human behavior is the, is the big uncertainty, how we respond to climate change, uh, and you know, and the water management side of it, I think, is is largely unknown. I don't think that in many parts of the world, certainly in the developed world, or you know, big countries like China that are actively developing and using up lots of water, uh, you know, I don't think there's really uh, a desire to to slow growth, especially because of the the lack of the lack of water. Um, so, so here, here's the thing. I mean, climate change isn't isn't changing. Um, the dry areas of the world will continue to get drier. So we're not changing that. We have to we have to manage our way way through that. And and so in these hot spots for groundwater depletion or places that will be experiencing more flooding and drought, um, it's it's time to get on board and really understand that um, we need plans all over the world 
uh, and more coordination across political boundaries than we have ever needed before. Um, and that's a tough that's a tough message to get to get out. If we can collaborate and, and uh, share groundwater and manage it sustainably and manage it holistically with surface water, we can get a long way down the road. And certainly, you know, if we uh, become more efficient in uh, agriculture and power generation. And if we don't do that, you know, basically we're screwed. <laughs> yeah. Um, so have you seen, you know, unique models or innovative models for, for countries dealing with, with the sharing issues? You know, we see the Colorado River and how the the people on the Colorado River, the, the, the stakeholders along the Colorado River are, are trying to work out a way to share that river. I, I've, I've, I've seen um, uh, some, um, so, you know, some, some papers that talk about like the Indus River and how uh, they are proposing the stakeholders along the Indus River use the Colorado Basin as a model to solve yeah. the problems there. I mean, are, are there any of these innovative solutions that are, that are being adopted that you, you see as useful or worthwhile? Yeah, uh, certainly. I think the bigger the big issue is that uh, so Colorado River Basin, I think, is a uh, is a is a great example. You know, the allocation issue with you know that it was done during wet periods, uh, notwithstanding. Um, you know, it's a, a great example of uh, different states and even even countries working together. That said. Um, the real innovation would be to include groundwater in those discussions. And, uh, you know, groundwater uh, is disappearing much more rapidly from the basin than surface water. And it's not, it's not getting the appropriate attention. Uh, so that, I think, is a, a critical policy innovation. Uh, one place that's actually dealing with that is, uh, is the Huarani Aquifer and the, and the countries that, um, that tap into the, the Huarani Aquifer. Um, so that uh, that could be a good uh, you know a good model for the for the rest of the world. Um, you know sometimes these agreements are are interpreted differently by different countries, um, uh, and so that becomes becomes an issue. Um, who has the most rights? Is it the upstream most uh, you know the upstream most uh, riparian country? Or do all countries uh, share equally? Sometimes even that is up for interpretation. So those uh, are also issues that are up for uh, policy innovations. Yeah. So um, what about, have you looked at all about like uh, uh, in terms of the water conflict, just kind of conflicts between the each state of the United States? Like we, we see a lot of this Florida versus Georgia and Tennessee. Yes. And right. and so there's one that's been kind of bubbling up recently in the Mission Doe Aquifer, um, and I'm just and you know that covers parts of Michigan, Ohio, and Indiana. And there's a, uh, uh, a a municipality in Ohio that is looking to just start tapping that aquifer and pumping all the water and mm -hmm. selling it. And, and so and it, I, there's people are concerned about it. So I'm just kind of curious within the U.S. What what do you see in terms of um, the, the models for dealing with that? you know, beyond the Colorado River Basin? Um, well, so I think what's happening in, in California um, with the Sustainable Groundwater Management Act is perhaps something that could be expanded across um, across political boundaries. Um, and so that act has carved up the state into, must be about 200 groundwater districts now. And each of these uh, 
uh, are called groundwater sustainability agencies, and each one has to produce a groundwater sustainability plan, which has to be approved by the state. And then uh, there's another 20 years for bringing uh, the aquifer into uh, uh, sustainability according to the, the plan that was approved. I think that's a really good model because it's quite flexible. Uh, it's probably something that could be, you know, if you thought about an aquifer that spanned over a few states, like you just mentioned, maybe that's a, a, a good model that, that could be attempted. So far, it seems to be working pretty well in California. Got it, got it. So, um, you know, Jay, I re you've been terrific today. I, is there anything that I haven't asked you that you, you really want to get off your chest that you really want to talk about? I think we sort of covered it, but I think the message that uh, is that water security uh, and, and with it uh, food security is a far greater risk than, than people recognize. That the patterns in fresh water availability uh, are changing all over the world, and you know that includes big regions of the United States. And so we really need to, uh, you know, we really need to be holding our elected officials uh, accountable for their for their thought and their and their plans on on water especially in these places that are water stressed well again jay thank you so much you've been fantastic for those folks who want to find out more about you more about the u of s's uh, institute for global water security where can they go to find that in information well so for me personally i have a website that's just my name jfamilyeddy.com and um you can follow me on twitter also my my twitter name is just my name jfamilyeddy and uh, for our um, University of Saskatchewan uh, Global Institute for Water Security, it's usask.ca, U-S-A-S-K.ca slash water. Awesome. Well, Jay, thank you again. Really appreciate your time and uh, have a great holiday season. Thanks. You too. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Okay. Bye, Jay. Well, hope you enjoyed that interview with Jay Familietti. Again, he was fantastic. Really a, a treasure trove of information about groundwater, water security, water conflict. And I, I think his insights are very valuable, especially as we move forward and, and uh, water scarcity, water availability becomes uh, an even bigger issue than it already is. Well, what interested you about this episode? You can check out the show notes for this session at thewatervalues.com forward slash pod 139. So that's thewatervalues.com forward slash pod 139. You can leave a comment on those show notes. You can email me at david at thewatervalues.com. You can also tweet at me, which is my handle is at DTM1993. And you can tweet about the podcast using the hashtag watervalues. Please do me a favor. Please rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, or any other podcast directory uh, that you uh, listen to the podcast on. It's a great way for people to find out about the podcast, and you can also sign up for the newsletter at thewatervalues.com. Well, in closing, please remember to keep the core message of the Water Values podcast in mind as you go about your daily business. Water is our most valuable resource, so please join me by going out into the world and acting like it. Listening to the Water Values Podcast. Thank you for spending some of your day with my dad and me.
Thank you for tuning in to The Disclaimer. I'm a lawyer licensed in Indiana and Colorado, and this podcast does not establish an attorney-client relationship with you or anyone else. Information in this podcast should not be considered legal advice. Further, this podcast is not a solicitation for professional employment. I'm just a lawyer who finds water issues interesting and who believes greater public education about water issues is necessary. And that includes enhancing my own education about water issues because no one knows everything about water. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.